Good morning. Well, my name is Mark. I'm the pastor here at Union Church. It's wonderful to be with you today as we gather around God's Word and around His table to worship and glorify Him as a family of faith. Um, if you want to go ahead and grab apples today, we're going to be in Matthew 26. And if you want to turn there, I'll get to that in just a minute. Um, but to set the scene or to sort of, sort of um, locate where we are today, we are in our Lenten series, and we are looking at the people who encounter Jesus in those last days or last hours of his life, and to sort of understand and grow in our faith as we, as we understand those interactions and the experiences between Jesus and those individuals. And we, we kicked this off last week, and we looked at Lazarus, and we talked about how it was really fascinating that Jesus basically allowed Lazarus to die. And when he then arrived in Bethany, he didn't, he didn't rush in to save the day, but, but he arrived and he went to the tomb and he fell on his knees and he wept. And we considered how in life, I mean, things don't often go the way we want them to. And sometimes it feels like, Sometimes it feels like the Lord doesn't answer our prayer, at least in the timing or in the manner that we would like, and it's hard to understand sometimes why God does the things that he does or why he doesn't do other things that we think he should do. But what we, what we do know and what we learned last week was that in the, the midst of it all that we know and can rest in the fact that we have a God who is with us and who loves us and is working for our good and for his glory. Now, that was last week. Today, we are going to be looking at Judas, the story of Judas. And so we're going to pick up the text in Matthew 26, 14 through 16. Then one of the 12, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and he said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver, and from that moment, he began to seek an opportunity to betray Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for this day, for this time together as a family of faith. We thank you for your word and that we can come under it today to grow in you. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, Lord, would be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, for indeed you are our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. All right. Well, if we were to go into Matthew 26, and if we had read the, the entire chapter or the, the, this entire section from verse 1, what we would see is that there was a tension between the religious elites and Jesus that was kind of reaching a boiling point right now. It was reaching a climax. And throughout Throughout the gospel accounts, one thing that we see that's consistent throughout all of the gospel accounts is that there's tension between Jesus and the Pharisees, Jesus and the scribes, Jesus and the religious elites in general. And as the, as the story progresses, that tension just continues to ratchet up. It continues to, to grow. And at this point, what we see is that the, the religious elites decide it's time we have got to do something about Jesus. We, we've, we've, we've tried to silence him. We've tried to trick him with questions. We've tried to, to work through other means, but nothing is working. And so they determined that they have no other choice but to kill Jesus, to arrest him, 
and to kill him in order to silence him. But they don't want to arrest him right now, right in this moment. It's, it's, it's almost the Passover time. It's, they recognize that Jesus is popular. He has many followers. And so they're afraid if they arrest him at this, at this festival time that it possibly would spark a riot and they'd end up with a bigger problem than they were trying to solve in the first place. And so it's sort of a delicate situation they're dealing with. And in the midst of this tricky situation of wanting to silence Jesus, um, Judas sees an opportunity. And he goes, he goes to the, the religious authorities and he says, hey, let's, let's make a deal. What will you give me? If I can deliver Jesus over to you in a calm manner, then what, what will you give me? And they offer to give him 30 pieces of silver if he can do this. Now, it's of some debate what exactly the value of these 30 pieces of silver would have been because it, it would... The Bible just says it's 30 pieces. It doesn't specify what kind of coin it would have been, what kind of silver it would have been. So we don't know exactly what the value would have been, but, but it's thought by many that it might have been as much as four months' wages. So quite, quite a bit of money to betray Jesus if it were four months' wages. And Judas agrees. He says, we've got a deal. And then the Bible says from that point on, he sought an opportunity to betray Jesus. And, and Judas finds this opportunity. It's after the Passover meal or kind of the last supper as we would call it. Jesus has, has the meal with his disciples. And then after dinner, if you remember, they, they went to the garden. They went to find a kind of a quiet and secluded place. They could pray together. And so they go to the garden and that's when Judas sees his opportunity. And, uh, you know, he shows up, if you will, in cloak and dagger there in the garden. And then I want to pick back up with the text here in Matthew 26, starting in verse 47. And the text says, while he was still speaking, while Jesus was still speaking, Judas came, one of the 12, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now, the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I kiss is the man, seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, greetings, rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do. They came and they laid hands on him and they seized Jesus. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand, drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Jesus said, put your sword away, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I, I can't appeal to my Father in heaven and he would send 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out against me as a robber with swords and with clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple preaching and you didn't seize me. But all this has taken place so the scriptures of the prophets would be fulfilled. And then all of the disciples left him and they fled. And when I read stories like this in the Bible, I find in myself, maybe it's the same for you, that it's sort of easy to look at a character like Judas and to say, man, what a bad guy. What a fool 
to betray Jesus. How, how could he do that for 30 pieces of silver? I mean, it was a lot of money perhaps. How could he do that? I mean, he had lived for three years with Jesus and he had been in the inner circle with Jesus and he had seen all of these signs and wonders that Jesus did. I mean, how could he do that? I, I would never do that. I would never stoop so low. It's easy to kind of scoff at Judas in this and, and to give him up with this affectionate greeting of a kiss, right? I mean, what a terrible way to do it. It's easy to kind of scoff at Judas in this story. But, but I think it's important that, that we take note that the stories of the Bible are, are often used more as a mirror than they are as a magnifying glass. So it's really easy to take stories of the Bible and, oh, I can't believe Judas would do that. What a jerk. Or to look at other people and they're kind of like Judas, guy back there. But, but men... Many times, the Bible is useful to us, not so much as a magnifying glass to, to focus in on and judge other people, but to reflect our own heart and to cause us to think, not so much how could Judas do this, but how could I do this? Is there some propensity in me to be like Judas? Because I think there probably is. And so we'll use the scripture today kind of more as a mirror than a magnifying glass. And what I want to do this morning is just to look at a couple of ways that we can keep from being like Judas. You know, I think probably we would all agree we don't want to be like Judas. So how do we not be like Judas? And the first is this. The first is this this morning. If we don't want to be like Judas, we need to regularly examine our hearts. Examine our hearts. Um... Not, not a lot is mentioned in the, in the scriptures and the gospels about Judas. We, we really don't know a lot about Judas or his background or many things that he did. The main thing we know about Judas is what we've already covered today, that he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, right? We don't know a whole lot more about him. But what we do know is that his heart was corrupted. And we see this, there's an interesting story in John chapter 12, verses one through six, that does give us a little insight into who Judas is and what's going on in his heart. And I want to read that story now from John 12. And it says, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom he had raised from the dead. And they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, Lazarus was reclining at table with him and Mary, um, she therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made of nard and she, she anointed the feet of Jesus with it. And she even massaged it in with her hair. It's easier for some of us than others to do with your hair. She massaged it in with her hair. And the whole house was filled with the fragrance of this perfume. But Judas, one of the disciples who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. He said this not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was in it. And so in this text, we see Judas is criticizing Mary. Mary. Mary made this extravagant sort of, sort of uh, offer of worship or 
Uh, she, she, she made this extravagant gift of worship to Jesus, this expensive perfume she, she anoints him with um, in this sort of very special moment there together. And, and then Judas, Judas kind of blows it, right? Why didn't we sell this perfume? We could have gotten 300 denarii for this. That's a lot of money. Just think how many poor people we could have helped with this. We could have helped all kinds of people with this. Think about our ministry budget, Right? But the Bible gives us this little insight into Judah's heart. And it tells us that Judas didn't really care about the poor at all. He just wanted to enrich himself. So he's the treasurer for the, for the disciples. And he kept the money bag. And so he just wanted the finder's fee, right? Well, you put 300 denarii in the bag and a few, you know, sort of skim off a few finder's fee from me. That's what Judas wanted. He wanted a little bit for himself. He wasn't thinking about the poor at all. And I find, I find just, this is just kind of anecdotal, but, you know, I find that people sometimes who are very self-righteous, you encounter people sometimes very self-righteous, right? Holier than thou. And oftentimes I, what I've found is that people like that, it's almost like they're covering some other deficiency up within them spiritually, right? Jesus, Jesus doesn't, isn't so worried about the externals. That's what Judas was worried about. That's what self-righteous people are worried about or what things look like on the outside. Jesus is worried about what's going on on the inside. Jesus is focused on the heart, the root of the problem. Self-righteousness, we tend to focus on the externals. You know, Judas here, I can't believe you would do this. Waste all of this perfume on Jesus, (laughs) right? And this self-righteousness is kind of, it's kind of a deflection, if you will, to take the attention off something that's going on within us. And, and, and so, you know, with Judas, it was a deflection. It was a cover for, for something going on within him. And the something going on within Judas was greed, right? His, his heart was affected by greed, he was embezzling the funds, but he, but he has this self-righteous attitude that makes him look so, so great on the outside, so righteous on the outside. You know, these things that he says, we could sell this for 300 denarii. We could help a lot of poor people with this. I mean, it sounds very noble. It sounds very spiritual to say something like that, but really what was going on in his heart was greed and was selfishness and was wickedness. And that's why it's important that we examine our own heart. If we don't want to be like Judas, we've got to examine our own heart. We, our, our hearts have a, a tendency to drift away from Jesus or to, you know, if you want to think about it like we're going down a, you know, a journey of faith, a road of faith, and our hearts have a tendency to kind of drift into the, the edge of the road, drift off the road. And, and sometimes what we've got to do is we've got to ask Jesus to come in and give us a, a spiritual front end alignment so that our hearts are tracking true and right with Jesus and we're not drifting off away from him. And, and that sinful drift, it is very slow. It is very subtle. It is very insidious, right? I don't, think, I don't think Judas woke up one day and was just like, today I'm gonna betray Jesus, right? I think it's this very subtle, this very subtle thing that happened in his heart. And then before he knew it, 
He was betraying Jesus, this very subtle drift. I don't think anybody in Union Church wakes up one day and just says, you know, I don't want to be involved in ministry. I don't want to go to church. But I think it's a very subtle drift that can happen within us. And over time, we drift away from the Lord. We drift away from the warmth of fellowship in the church, these kinds of things. And and we we often don't realize what has happened until it's too late. So it's important that we examine our hearts. It's important that we are regularly seeking to draw near to Jesus and inviting Jesus to do that that work of, of realigning our hearts with him to keep us on the path. So that's the first thing we can do. You don't want to become like Judas? Continue to examine your heart, to realign your heart with Jesus, to track true with him. And, 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 you know, don't take for granted where you are. Right? We kind of get a daily reprieve in this to continue to come back to Jesus, to worship Jesus, to turn our eyes to Jesus. If you start to take it for granted, then you begin to think you're better than you really are, right? And you don't need Jesus. But let's continue to retune our hearts to, to, the, to the melody of Jesus. Second thing we can do if we don't want to become like Jesus, we, we want to examine our hearts. And the second thing is, is to give don't give an invitation to the enemy. No, don't give, an, don't give the enemy an invitation. Very briefly from Scripture, Ephesians 4.27, give no opportunity to the devil. And, and that word opportunity, some, some translations of the Bible say like, give no place to the devil. Or don't give a foothold to the devil, you know, as, as if you're like climbing or hiking a mountain and you don't want to help the devil, give him a foothold to get to you more easily. And, and what, with Judas, we see, that, we see that the enemy got into Judas, was given an opportunity and found his weakness, found his weakness, right? And exploited Judas' weakness and I don't know exactly how. I, I, think, I think somehow we have to give the devil an invitation into our hearts. Sometimes I hear people, you know, that everything, everything that happens to them, everything they do wrong, you know, the devil made me do it. I don't, I don't, I mean, I think it's just, I think it's just an easy excuse, excuse people use. But I do think there's something to this that very subtly we can sort of create an opening for the deceiver to come into our life and, and when we do this, Judas did this, and when we do this, he will exploit our weaknesses. There's no doubt about it. And chances are, chances are you know your own weaknesses, right? You know yourself better than anybody else does. And so you know your own weaknesses. And so don't give the, don't give the enemy an opportunity to come in and to prey on those, on those weaknesses. I mean, I, I've... I've got my own, too many, to, too many to list. But just as an example, you know, one of, my, one of the things I struggle with is discouragement. It's very easy for me to become discouraged. And, and if I'm not careful, that discouragement will give an open door to the enemy to come into my life, to come into my heart. And, and without even, you know, without even realizing it, I kind of leave this door open and he'll come in 
and it'll exploit that discouragement. And what's just sort of basic discouragement can then spiral, basically it spirals sort of out of control into sin and into rebellion against God. And, and it causes my heart ultimately to begin to drift away from the Lord. So there's this, whatever your weakness might be, the, the enemy will exploit that if you give him the opportunity. And so that, that's just... That's just an example for me, but we we must be careful to guard our hearts, to hide God's word away in our hearts, to keep that door closed to to those we don't want to come in. And and that's why, you know, so, so again, we must examine our hearts to stay in alignment with Jesus. We must take care to, to not give the enemy an opportunity to come in and exploit our weaknesses. He certainly will. He certainly did that with Judas weakness of greed. And then finally, maybe this is the most important is if we don't want to become like Judas, we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Um, what, what I, what I, a, couple, a couple of things, but you know, I love this about this story that even in the midst of Judas' betrayal of Jesus, Jesus still calls him friend. And next week, we're going to look at this, basically we're going to look at the same story again, but from a different angle or a different aspect. And we're going to look at how on this same night, Jesus was betrayed. He was arrested. And then Peter, if you remember, Peter denied Jesus. He denied knowing Jesus at all three times. And yet Jesus still loved Peter. And the disciples in the text today, we see that when Jesus was arrested, all the disciples, were they strong? Did they stand by his side? Nope. So they all fled. <laughs> they ran away. But, but we see that even in the midst of all of that, Jesus, Jesus called Judas friend. He still loved Peter. And I believe he still loved those disciples as well. Um, even as they all failed miserably, Jesus still loved them. His, his love does not fail or falter in any way. My love, your love, it can be all over the place, right? My faith, your faith, it can be all over the place, but Jesus is the rock. He is the rock. He does not fail or falter. Um, and so, you know, ultimately, it's not so much about our love, our faith, it's about His. And so we keep our eyes fixed on Him. It, it's not so much a matter of if you will fail. It's more a matter of when you will fail, when you will falter, when you will fall on your face. And the truth is this, that when we keep our eyes on Jesus, he will always be there to pick us up and to carry us through. And and what I see play out so often is that in our walk of faith, we gain some confidence, right? I'm beginning to understand this. I'm getting pretty good at this church thing, this Jesus thing, this faith thing. Walking along, doing good, right? We get a little confidence in ourselves. We've gone from baby steps to now like, I'm, I'm nailing this Christian thing. God must be so proud of me. And you know what the next thing that happened is? Next thing that happened, we trip, we fall right on our face, right? We fall on our face and we get discouraged we think, oh, God must be angry with me, right? And we feel humiliated. And we don't know if we've got the courage to get back up, to stand up, to keep walking again because we've put too much faith in ourselves, right? But we're not called to put our faith in ourselves. Our faith is to be in Jesus, in his righteousness, in his faithfulness, in his strength. 
Yeah, amen. There we go. Got our amen pew right here, right here. Um, and, and the Bible says about this, great verses here. In Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, every sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. So right there it tells us, how do we keep from veering off the road? How do we keep from crashing and burning like Judas did? Well, number one, we throw off every sin that entangles. And we do this by constantly examining our hearts, getting that spiritual front end alignment by not giving the the devil an opportunity or an open door into our heart. And most importantly, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. As we run this race, we keep our eyes on Jesus because he is the goal and he is the prize. And when we falter, in those moments when we veer off the road, He'll be there to pick us up and to carry us through. And the Bible says that he is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. He is the one who started it, and he is going to be the one to complete it. But, but you know, so often what happens is we put our, we put our faith in Jesus for our salvation. We get that part right, <laughs> and then we start to think, we start to think that, I've got to carry me through. I've got to reach that finish line. I'm the perfecter of my faith, right? He saved me. He saved me, but now it's up to me. I better get this thing completed. And and it's not true, right? The Bible says that he is both the, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. He both saves us and he sanctifies us. And that's why we keep our eyes on him. Because if we start looking to our own righteousness, if we start looking to our own own faithfulness, if we start looking to our own cleverness, right, then we're going to veer off that road and we're going to crash and we're going to be ashamed and we're going to be discouraged and we're going to struggle to make it on our own. And so we keep our eyes on Jesus. We keep pressing forward in him. We examine our hearts. We shut that door to giving the devil an opportunity. But when we fail, and we will, when we fall on our face, and we will, we keep our eyes on Jesus. And even if we can't pull ourselves up, he will be there to pick you up and to carry you through because it's about his faithfulness and not your own. And when we have those moments and we do become like Judas, Jesus will still call you friend. And he'll carry us home. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you are the founder and the perfecter of our faith, that what you started, that you will bring it to completion. 
I thank you that you are the God who both saves and sanctifies us. What what a joy that truth is. And so I pray this morning as we conclude this time, this message, as we begin to prepare our hearts for your supper, Lord, that you would help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, fixed on Jesus. I pray that you would remind us of your goodness, of your faithfulness, of your love, that we would run this race with endurance. I pray, Father, that we would throw off every sin, that we would focus on you, and that when we do fail, we would not become discouraged, but we would trust that you will be there to pick us up, to renew us, and to make us whole. We thank you that you are God, that you are a good God, and that you are faithful unto the end. In your name we do pray. Amen.